for you to turn to uh, Psalms 125. Uh, we've been going through a series called A Summer in the Psalms, and I'd love for you to read this one. Uh, this one has been an encouraging one for me today. We're going to look at it here. Psalms 125, it goes like this. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time and forevermore. For the scepter of the wickedness shall not of the wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. And in the verse four and five it goes like this. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. But to those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be on Israel. This is the reading of God's word. I'm wondering how many of you this summer have uh, gone on a road trip. Who took a road trip? Any kind of road trip? Hands up real quick. All right. Well, most of us have gone on a road trip, which means that you know the importance of this, this diagram that everyone in the car has a special role to play. You have the driver, which is, their job is obvious. You have the backseat passenger who always asks the question, are we there yet? And then the most important, I would argue, of all the positions in the car is the co-pilot, right? The person that sits next to the driver, they got to do all sorts of stuff. They're your navigator. They're your temperature control guru. But most importantly, out of all the responsibilities that the co-pilot has, the co-pilot's most important responsibility is to what? Pick the music, okay? They are responsible for picking the music and selecting the, uh, the, uh, the uh, music for the trip or the, the car trip on the journey. That's the most important job. When you look at Psalms, when you look at Psalms, there's a group of Psalms that are from chapters 120 to 120 or 134, and they're called the Psalms of Ascent. And you're like, well, what is that? Well, what are the Songs of Ascent? The best way to describe these Songs of Ascent are they are the road trip songs. They are the songs that are picked for the journey. And what I mean by that is. Uh, if you were in living in Israel at the time, what you would do is you would make various pilgrimages to the temple for various celebrations during the course of the year or the decade or whatever, and it was a big deal, right? It was probably a bigger deal than you and I going on a road trip because when you and I go on a road trip, we just kind of pack the car and away we go, we get the GPS, all that kind of thing, but they had to move everything, Right? They moved the family, they moved the, the property, the tents, the supplies, the livestock. Everything went with them when they did a trip. And as they were uh, making their way to Jerusalem, as they were making their way to uh, the city uh, and ascending to the temple, they would have a group of songs they would sing along the way. That's what it's called, the songs of the ascent. They were singing along the way or to the city of Jerusalem, and doing that. Psalms 2025 is one of those psalms. And uh, uh, it, we just read it, and I want to make a few points on that today before we leave this morning. 
And uh, here, just so we go through it, Psalms 125 uh, has two great themes that run through the entire psalm. And they kind of run parallel to each other, okay? So you have one here and one here, and they kind of like are going in the same direction. They never, they kind of meet at the end, but they're going along the sign, and eventually they tie together, but they're kind of somewhat related, somewhat not related. And the first theme is that they are, that the, uh, the world, is, a world ruled by evil can be a dangerous place for the believer. That's the first thing. You find that in verse 3. The second one is that God can be a great source of uh, protection and security for the believer. And so what I'd like to do today is I'd like to talk a little bit about those two themes, describe them for you, and see if I can tie them together at the end with a little bit of an application for you. So let's talk about the first theme this morning, which is this, is that uh, the, the world that we live in can be a dangerous place for a believer. Look at verse 3 for me if you, if you have your Bibles and you're looking at it. It says this, For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. That phrase there, the, uh, the scepter of wickedness, it can mean, uh, what it essentially means is some sort of rule, some sort of authority uh, that is given over some sort of economic or social or culture system. And basically what it's saying here is that um, the wicked rule off the land. It's, it's gone the wrong way, right? It speaks to the fact that as Christians, we live in a world that is predominantly dominated and ruled by evil. That the world that we live in is corrupt. And that could be a scary place for people who want to live a righteous lifestyle. But what is interesting about, what he's, what, uh, about this is why it's scary. Because a lot of us would assume that because the world is evil, what's scary for believers is that bad things will happen to us. But he's actually not concerned about that. He is not concerned that bad things happen to us or that evil is done to us. That's a concern for sure, but it's not this psalm's concern. He is actually more concerned that because the world is dominated by evil, you and I will become like the world around us. Listen again to what it says. It says this, For the scepter of the wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands and do wrong. Okay? So it's this kind of idea, like, it's, what it's saying is, is listen, like, God, something's got to give. It can't stay evil forever. Because if it did stay evil forever, the righteous, the people who are, who are good, the people who, are, who love the Lord, the people who are trying to live well and righteous, eventually they will stretch out their hand and do wrong. He is concerned that as Christians, there is always a great danger that we might follow the culture rather than influence the culture for good. 
The great danger is if the world is ruled by evil, that you and I might cave in, that you and I might compromise, and you and I actually might become like the world around us instead of being uh, followers of Jesus Christ. And you know what, friends? To be honest with you, I'm a little bit afraid that I'll cave in. And I'm not sure about you, but I think that in your heart of hearts, you're actually afraid of that too. Because here's the deal, I, you don't stand where I stand. And I am not very optimistic about the overall health of the church in North America. I'm scared that our churches, our Bible colleges, our way of looking at life, and even our theology are being defined by the culture rather than the culture defining, defined by the, the world. When we take inventory, I don't know if you realize this, but when we take inventory, we realize that we dress the same, talk the same, act the same, use the same technology, use the same science, eat the same food, consume the same media, and there is almost no difference between the way the Christians live and the way that the rest of the world lived. In fact, if you want a, if you want a statistic on this, Barna did something very interesting. I think it came out in 2019. They did a study between Christians and non-Christians living in the United States, and they just wanted to say, is there a difference practically in the way that they behave and the way that they go about doing their lives and uh, the way that they work, the way that they be, all that kind of thing. And um, it's, it's an interesting case study. They said that the only difference they found between the people that they surveyed, between Christians or not, is Christians recycled less. <laughs> so there is a fear that I think that we are becoming more like the culture around us than a biblical culture. I feel like the moorings that have hold us close as evangelicals are becoming in loose. In some cases, they are completely gone whatsoever. Friends, I believe that there used to be a time when you could actually tell what a church was about by the name on its front door, and I, can, and I believe right now in the current state of things, you can no longer assume that because the name out front says gospel or E-free or Baptist or Mennonite or Alliance or Assembly, it means that that's what they believe inside the house. And what is happening, and I believe that that's what's happening in terms of our view on marriage, our view on justice, our view on science. We are following the culture and that is actually what the psalmist is afraid of. He's afraid that because the world is dominated and ruled by evil, if something doesn't give, if something doesn't change, then what winds up happening is that we cave in and we compromise. Okay, I'm, I'm getting the, the word that I should be right here. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> so that's the first theme. The second theme is, though, that or sorry, I want to talk about this for a minute, is that uh, that's the first theme. And the reason I want to park on this for a minute is because sometimes um, I think what happens is we look at the world around us, we know that it's ruled by evil, we know that it's influenced, we don't want that influence in our lives and our kids' lives. And we would never say this out loud, but maybe secretly we admit to ourselves that we need something more than God to protect us. And the problem with that is, is, is like I would say, is that 
We play hide and seek with an evil culture. And you know what I mean by that is, is we look at how bad things are when we run away, that we go and hide. That we build a fortress and a shelter around our families and around us. And we, we say, as long as I stay in the bounds of this cave, or if I cut myself off completely from the world, then evil can't touch me. You know what the problem with that initially is, is this, is, is this, is you and I, is, I'll give you three problems with that. The first is, is that when we play hide and seek with evil, Evil always finds your hiding spot, okay? Because the source of evil is not an external source. It's internal, okay? James talks about this, and Jesus talks about it. James talks about the idea of what causes fights and quarrels among you. Don't they come from the battles and desires within? Jesus talks about the idea that it's not what goes into a man that makes him impure. It's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. The issue with the fact that you, we run away and hide is that you're not cutting off the source. You're just boxing yourself up with the trouble. And what it initially does is it, it, it advocates you from responsibility. It's kind of like saying the devil made me do it. How many have heard that saying before, right? Well, that's not true. The devil didn't make you sin. The devil doesn't make you do anything. Eh? You did it. Now, the devil might stir up the pot a little bit. He might sort of get those uh, desires going. But in the end, it's you. It's your desire. And it's the same thing when we look at the world around us. The world around us doesn't make you sin. You do. Because... It's the desire of our, our broken hearts, and that's why we need Jesus to come in and rejuvenate it. So the problem is, is that it's an internal problem, not an external problem. Two, um, and number three, I just want to say is that it goes against our mandate as Christians. We are to go out into the world and share the good news of Jesus Christ, right? Okay, right. So we go run away and hide, then we can't do that. We need a better option. We need a third option, which is why uh, I believe in the, the, we are given one in the second theme, which is that God can be a great source of protection for the believer. Let me read to you the first two verses again. It says this. It says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the, so the Lord surrounds the people from this time forth and forevermore. So here's the deal that I think, is if you take those two themes, the idea that um, the, the, the world can be a scary place when it's ruled by evil, and you take the other theme that God can be a great source of protection, and you tie those two together, this is what I think that you wind up saying, it says to us, is that you and I should not fear turning into the world around us. Okay? Now that's a Dan Rentonism. That's my paraphrase of Psalms 2025. It says this is that you and I should not fear a world dominated by evil. It says in uh, when Jesus is talking about the end times, he says this. He says uh, the people will uh, faint in terror, in angst over what is to come. And I believe 
that as Christians who put our security in God, that when you and I put our security in Jesus Christ, that you and I do not need to fear what is to come. We don't need to fear all the bad stuff that is happening. We, do, we, don't, we don't cower at bad news. We don't shake in our boots. We are surrounded by the power of the cross. You, and most importantly, I believe that what Psalms 125 is saying to us is this. You and I do not need to fear caving in and being like everyone else around the world around us. Now you say, Dan, that's actually a mouthful. How can you be sure of that? Well, let me just say this. Is that I believe that that's true, but it's a condition. There's a big if with that statement. Okay? And I just want to say something, you know, this is a caveat. God's love for you is without condition, meaning that he initiated uh, dying on the cross for sin before you came to faith in him. So he loves you and takes care of you. But I also want to say this, is that sometimes his promises to you are conditional. And this is one of them. You and I do not need to fear being compromised or carrying in or looking at the world around us if we do one thing. Would anyone like to take a guess as that one thing is? It's right in the text. Verse 1. You and I do not need to fear the world or becoming like the world if... We trust in God. There's that big if. We have to put our confidence in him. We have to put our weight in on him. We have to decide to trust him with our lives, with our decisions. And if you do that, friends, I believe that you don't have to fear a world of compromise or turning out like the world around us. Let me give you three reasons and then, uh, or three reasons and I'll give you an application for this uh, going forward. Number one, Three reasons why you don't need to be afraid of a world ruled by evil. Number one, God's people can't be moved. Number two, God's around his people. And number three, it's not going to stay this way forever. So let me talk about the first one real quick. God's people cannot be moved. Let's look at verse one real quickly for you. Okay? It says this, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which, what does it say? Cannot be shaken but endures forever. So what it's saying here is like there's a people here, there's, there's a group of people that are living their lives, that are, they exist on planet Earth, they're doing their thing, and these people, they can't be moved, they can't be bought, they can't be shaken. Who are these people? They are people that trust in the Lord. They can't be moved, but you might be saying to me, Pastor Dan, I feel shaken sometimes, I feel moved. Like sometimes I... I, I come in church and I'm, and I'm pumped on Sunday and because I feel God's presence, because he's moving, he's doing an amazing work. But then by Monday, I, I feel depressed. But what you need to understand is, is that what it's saying is like those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. So the idea really is, is, is that it's not you that you have to be worried it's about shaking. It's, it's what you're standing on. Okay? It's the idea that, that God undergirds your life. He's like the Mount, Mount Zion there. And to put, it, to put it 
to put it a different way, you might tremble on the mountain, but the mountain is not trembling underneath you. Okay? You don't have to worry about being shaken. But you might say, I have trusted in the Lord and I got shaken, I got cancer or COVID. But I want you to look at what it says here in verse 25. It says, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be, which abides forever. So highlight that word forever. And then if you go down to verse 2, it says the same thing in the end. It says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time to earth, both now and forevermore. Okay, so the idea that the the idea of being forever being repeated twice means simply this: is that you can't look at this life in the twenty or thirty or forty years that you've lived. You have to look at this life in terms of eternity. And what it is saying here is is that those who trust in the Lord will be it will be okay in the end for them. For the righteous will never be moved, and they will stand uh, true forever. So it's this idea that you and I, we will face bad things, and we will tremble, but in the end, we, it will work out for us. Psalms 125 is, a, is, a, is probably a different way of saying Jesus' parable about the rich and, rich and the, the wise, or sorry, the foolish and the wise builder. Okay? The foolish man built his house upon the... And the wise man built his house upon the rock. The rains came, uh, and then the, the wise man's house was left standing. Why? Because he built it on something solid. So what it is saying is not that bad times won't come. What it's saying is that when they come, you will be left standing. It will be well for you in the end. You will not be shaken. Number two, God surrounds his people. It says this, uh, going forward in verse 2. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people this time and forevermore. I've heard many people from the prairies tell me that when they go visit the mountains, they can only stay so long before they feel claustrophobic. Is that you? Any one of you feel that way when you go to the mountains? There might be a few of you. And growing up in the mountains, I've, I've never really felt that way about them. It's such a weird feeling for, for me to, for someone to say that, uh, growing up in Vancouver and by, so close to them. And the reason is, is because when I look in the mountains, and I grew up near the mountains, uh, I don't feel claustrophobic. I actually feel protected. I don't know if you felt that way before, but I, I feel like nothing's coming over this mountain getting me. It's like, I don't know. Okay, I'm a short guy. And when I was in school, when I, I was always short in high school, and I, I didn't, wasn't really mature then. I might not be mature now, but I was less mature then. And uh, I always had, I, I became very lippy and sarcastic in my high school years. And I, the thing about being lippy and sarcastic is you don't actually want to, you don't, you don't want to say the wrong thing to the wrong person, right? Otherwise... Yeah, you might, they might hurt you. So, but in high school, I always got away with it because all my friends were six foot and 200 pounds. 
So I could say whatever I wanted because I knew that there was a group of people that had protected me. It's the same sort of idea here, right? And, and that you are actually protected. The mountains surround and protect the city. It's kind of like this. Uh, if Alberta, I love Alberta, so please don't take this the wrong way. If Alberta and British Columbia were to ever get into a war, and uh, I would never in my lifetime be afraid of Albertans conquering British Columbia. You want to know why? Because I've walked with some of you up to the third hill. And you, along with me, have been winded trying to get to the top of the third hill. If you get winded trying to get to the top of the third hill, there's no way that you are climbing an entire province of mountains to get to me. You'll, you'll pass out before you get to Banff. I'm sorry. Like, but the idea, the, that's the sort of the idea in the text here, is the idea is, is that like the mountains surround the people, surround Jerusalem, surround the city, so God surrounds his people, okay? That you are protected on every side like a mountainside. It's a great feeling. And if you want a really good example of this, uh, the best example I could give comes from 2 Kings verses, uh, six, uh, chapter 6, verses 15 and 17. And here, there's a story where Elisha and his protege, they are in the city, and the city is being sieged by an oncoming enemy. And it says in verse 15 that when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and he went out, behold, he saw a vast army with horses and chariots all around the city. So the city is surrounded by the enemy. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed, and God said, Please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots and fire and all, all around Elisha. So there's the enemy, there's the city, and they're surrounded by the enemy, but then the enemy is surrounded by the armies of God. And that's sort of the idea that's going on here, is that God loves you so much that he actually surrounds his people. You are a people that... You, because your foundation is put on Jesus Christ, you won't be shaken, but you're also surrounded. Okay? Thirdly, it won't stay this way forever. Look at verse 3 one more time. It says, For the scepter of the wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands and do wrong. What it's saying there is that the rule of the wicked won't, the rule of the wicked today is not the final chapter. Okay? The word allotted there goes, looks backwards and forwards. It looks to the, uh, it looks backwards to the promises that Joshua, uh, backwards to Joshua chapter 10 and 11, when he allots the land to Israel because the land does not belong to evil people, it belongs to those whom God has allotted it to, their righteousness, and looking for, uh, to them. It also looks forward to what Jesus said, because in Jesus he said that the, la the land will be inherited, uh, the earth will be inherited by the meek. And the idea of meek there is not wimpy. The idea of weak there is, is strength under control. It's, it's, it's kind of like a broken colt. Okay? 
okay? A meek person has all their strength under control of the Holy Spirit. That's what it's talking about. So it's looking backwards and saying the land was always, always presented, always allotted to the righteous, and it's looking forward to the day it is today. So it won't stay that way forever, okay? You see, friends, the battle is already won on the cross. But it doesn't feel that way, does it? It feels like the world is getting worse. Theologians have a name for this phenomenon. They call it the time of the now and not yet. We live in the victory. We now live in the victory of the cross. God has won the victory. The battle is over. The war is over. It happened on the cross. We're done and we're, feel, we're doing it. But we have not yet uh, stopped fighting. I, I liken this. I've said this before. I liken this to World War II. Okay? In World War II, a lot of people would consider that D-Day would be the turning tide of the war. But if you know your history, you know that the war continued on for a couple more years. It's sort of the same idea with the cross. Is The cross is D-Day. It's the day that Jesus won the victory over death and sin. But you and I, we live in this, this space of time where we've not yet seen the completion or, or we're the, we've not yet seen the rule of all evil. And in that time... So we are fighting really a defeated enemy. Evil is a defeated enemy. But it doesn't really feel like that at times, does it? It feels like it's getting worse. It feels like it's getting darker and faster. And I know that the world has always been sinful and it's always been corrupt and dominated by evil. But, you know, I, I don't know how many of you feel like me lately, but I feel like the last four years, the whole world has taken a bunch of crazy pills. Right, I was sitting with a board just uh, on Wednesday, and we were talking about uh, the deterioration of the West Coast cities and how you can just go in and steal something and people won't stop you. It just feels so weird that we live in a culture like that. It feels like evil's heartbeat is getting faster and stronger. And can I just encourage you with you that it's not true. Because verse 3 tells us that the rule of the wicked will not stay that way forever. And the, the position of the Christian should be an eternal optimism about what happens. That we are not to be doom and gloom people because we know in the end that Jesus already won the victory. So why does it feel like evil is gaining ground? Well, can I give you an analogy to help explain this really quick? Um... Years ago, I, uh, I went to go see a loved one, and they were in the last stages of life, and they, had passed, they were passing away. When they were passing away, I noticed that on the hospital bed, their heart started beating faster, and, more, and, and it felt like it was getting stronger, which to me is a little bit of a weird phenomenon, because if you're passing away, if you're in your last moments of life, you actually think that maybe everything would be getting weaker and, and dying. But what they were telling me, what the nurse was telling me, was that in the last moments of life, the heart beats faster because it's trying to survive. It's trying to pump the blood. And they have to give you medication to slow it down or whatever. Friends, <clears throat> evil might seem like, evil's heart might seem like it's getting faster but it's not getting faster because they're winning or because it's getting stronger. 
It's getting faster because it's dying and it's becoming more desperate. Because we have won the battle of the cross. So those are the three reasons that I would give you that you do not need to fear being compromised by a world that is evil. However, like I said, there is a condition. And that condition on that is that you trust in the Lord. Look at, look at the last part of, uh, look at 4 and 5, it says this. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their errors. That word upright in heart uh, equals straight. It's the idea that, that those who follow the Lord are straight as opposed uh, straight in their way and how they live. The, Lord, the way of the Lord is straight as opposed to the way of evil that is crooked. Crooked means that it takes uh, twists and turns. And in scripture, the way of the Lord is straight. And so what it is saying here is, is that if you trust in the Lord, you will actually have to be a person uh, that we... Sorry, let me rephrase that for you today. You do not need to fear being compromised or turning out the world if you trust in the Lord. But it require, trust in the Lord requires one thing, or actually two things, I'm going to say. And the first is, is that you've got to decide, you have to make a clear choice how you're going to live, Okay? You see, every single one of us, because of our sinful nature, is born with a crown. Okay? That we get to rule our lives the way that we want to, and the way that we behave, and all that kind of thing. But if you want to be, if you want assurance that God will protect you from a world that has gone crazy, then you have to make a clear choice about how you're going to live. And you've got to actually take off the crown of your life and put it to the King Jesus. And let him decide about how you're going to live. And how you're going to behave and how you're going to think. And if you do that, then you will be surrounded by God. You will be protected and you will build your life on something found. And you don't have to be worried about how bad the world gets. It will always get bad. But if you put your trust in Jesus Christ... He will be faithful. Jesus puts it another way. He says, I have not lost any of the sheep that you have given me. He won't, he won't lose you. But you've got to trust in him. Secondly, I, I think, and I'll, I'll end with this, you have to pray daily for protection. If you look at verse 4 and 5, it's, it's actually a prayer. It's, do good, Lord, to those who are good. So it's addressing this to God. And I would actually say that, you know, if you're afraid of being led into temptation, then I would actually encourage you that you pray and you would ask that he would keep you from it. How does the Lord's Prayer go, right? Lord's Prayer, at the very end of it goes, Lord, keep us, do not let us be led into temptation, but what? Deliver us from evil. So I think those are the two decisions that you're going to have to make. What does it mean to trust in God? It means that you make a clear choice about who you're going to let, uh, how you're going to live your life. And it means that you seek God in prayer, according to the Psalms. So if you want a practical uh, 
you know, takeaway from that. I know that prayer can be very difficult for some of us. Some of us are really good at it, and some of us, uh, some of us, it's a struggle. Well, if it's a struggle for you, can I can I just encourage you when the fall uh, resumes in September, get Zoom and join us at the Tuesday evening prayer meeting. It's an hour of your time. You don't have to drive anywhere. You just have to be somewhat technically inclined. And we will pray for you. We will pray for you. So let me finish just by reading Psalms 112 again. And then I'll, I'm going to call up Don and Louise and then, uh, for worship as, as we're uh, leaving. This is what Psalms 112 says. <clears throat> it says this, Praise the Lord. Blessed, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commands. His offspring will be mighty in the land, and the generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness will endure forever. Lights dawn in the darkness for the upright. His gracious, he is gracious and merciful and, up and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts himself with affairs and justice. And listen to what it says in verse 6. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm. And what does it say at the end? Trusting in the Lord. You do not need to be afraid of bad news. Or a world that has gone so crazy. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ. Let's close with a song.